Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizier, and I'm joined again today by Joe Anity. How's it going, Joe? It's going good. Glad to be here. Me too. Me too. I'm glad to, I'm excited to get into what we're going to talk about today. Um, and on that, remember that we are in the middle of a series on uh, the doctrine of salvation. So we're talking about Calvinism. We are uh, we are finally coming to the doctrine of total depravity today. And last time we talked about unconditional election. Uh, so if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to that, please go back and check that out. Um, but I've kind of gave that one away. But let's go ahead and talk about what, where we've been. Also, Joe, would you mind uh, going on that a little bit before we get into total depravity? Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, please know that we're in the middle of this series. So if uh, if you're just jumping in, it would be good for you to go back. We took. Uh, three episodes, it's episode four, five, and six of, of this podcast that we've started that are devoted to basically introductory uh, considerations. So the first one addresses common misconceptions uh, concerning Calvinism. Uh, the next, episode five, addresses uh, the question, what is our authority for truth? I think that's such a huge issue there. Um, the reason we believe these doctrines is because we believe this is what the scriptures are, are clearly right. teaching, you know. Um, and the, the the third in the series, but episode six in Confessing the Faith is uh, dealing with the concept of God's sovereignty and the fact that all things are, are for his glory, for his glory. And so those are three foundational episodes. I'd encourage you to go listen to them. And then, and then we jumped into uh, unconditional election, which is a little out of order. Uh, the acronym TULIP, people usually follow that right. uh, in order, T-U-L-I-P. So total depravity usually comes first, but we, we – uh, we actually dealt with unconditional election first, partly because it's the thing that happens first chronologically, we might say. It's what happened mm-hmm. before the foundations or the creation of, of the world. And it, it really is the thing out of which all of these other things flow. Uh, but total depravity is also very foundational, and so it's good that we finally got to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to get into this. So what question does uh, the doctrine of total depravity seek to answer? This this doctrine is really dealing with um, the question of uh, what is man's condition apart from the saving work of Christ. And it's important that I put it that way. What is man's condition apart from the saving work of Christ? What it, What is the natural man's condition after the fall and apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit? That's what we're dealing with here. Um, we're, we're kind of asking the question, what is man able to do and what is he – not able to do in and of himself, mm. you know, by himself, right. apart from God's gracious intervention. What what is man able to do, and what is he able uh, not able to do ultimately? And of course, as this pertains to the doctrine of salvation, uh, we're asking: Can the natural man come to Christ freely? Can he respond to the gospel freely? and willingly apart from God's gracious intervention. That's what we're getting at here. And, uh, yeah, it's such an important issue. I hope that people are able to see that. Um, I guess maybe one one more way to put it is this. Um, is it required that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, do a work enabling man to respond to the gospel by faith? Right. Or, or, or is he able in and of himself to respond in faith uh, to the proclamation of the gospel. Okay. Well, well, that leads us right into this question. Uh, what does the doctrine of total depravity teach? 
Well, I think the doctrine recognizes the biblical teaching that men and women, uh, boys and girls, ch- I mean, just hum- human beings right, in general, yeah, yeah. Uh, in their in their natural and fallen state, are not basically neutral, and and, and much less are they um, basically good, but they are totally depraved. I, I suppose I could replace the word they with we here i mean we're, sure. we're just we're all included in this right uh we we have depraved uh natures this this means that that human nature uh, as it is after the fall of adam is is um completely corrupt completely wicked twisted bent towards evil and not towards uh good you know i I don't. I don't know how people disagree with this. To be quite honest with you, even if you don't look at the Bible ever, all you have to do is kind of like look at look at the world. You know, right. <laughs> right. even look at little children. You know, who just rather consistently uh, head towards rebellion and not. You know, it's it just it's 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 not as if. Uh, have to well and have to bad. It's just all of humanity is bent in this direction, and I, I think just looking at society would uh, prove that, you know. Um, but but the point is that we are in our natural and, and fallen state, to use the language of the London Baptist, Baptist Confession, chapter 6, uh, paragraph 2, we are dead in sin and wholly defiled, and all the faculties and parts of soul and body is a confession's way of saying that this depravity it's it's permeated it's affected it's thorough, completely. Yeah, yeah all that we are yeah. it's not as if um you know our minds are jacked up but our hearts are good right or something like that you know it's that we're wholly defiled and so this is true from the moment adam fell and all humanity with him according to the scriptures uh, we believe that man has wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself for uh, conversion. That's London Baptist Confession 9.3. You know, we did we did talk a little bit about the issue of free will yeah. in previous episodes. I, I do believe that man has a free will in the sense that he is able to make real choices He's not a puppet sure. on a string. He's not a robot. He's making real choices. But the doctrine of what the doctrine of total depravity is asserting is that we are born in such a way where our hearts and minds and just our, our whole being is twisted, you know. And it, it, it's not it's not bent towards God and it's not bent towards good. It's bent away from God and towards evil. Right. So that you know, when we exercise our will, we do it not in the right way, but in the wrong way. Right. That, that's what this doctrine is getting at here. Well, in that language, the, the whole dead and sin, I mean, that that language is very clear. You know, dead, if you're dead, you can't cause yourself to live. Right. It's that, that very definite language we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so the word, the word depravity is obviously referring to our sinfulness or, right. yeah. as you said, our fallen and corrupt nature. Uh, so, so what are we to think of it or when we hear the word total and the phrase total depravity? So what exactly is total referring to? Yeah, I don't think the total is just placed there so it fits in the acronym TULIP, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an important word. Um, maybe it's helpful actually uh, to say, first of all, what it does not mean, right? 
um, when you hear the word total and when you hear the definition that I just gave, you might get the impression that we're saying that man is just wicked and bad all the time. And, you know, that's, that's not it. it. It's not that we are as bad as we could be, you know, and we're not saying that no one does anything good in any way apart from, that's not really what we're saying. I think we need to recognize that there are people, non-Christians who do what we might call good things, you know? I mean, people lay down their lives for other people on the battlefield or something. You know, you hear stories like this. Uh, People uh, give freely to those in need uh, anonymously. You know, these are, these are good, good things. So we're, we're not saying that total depravity means that everything is all wicked all the time and as bad as it could be. I mean, I rejoice at the good that non-Christians do. And I enjoy living in a society or community where there are non-believers who are doing good things, right? I, I, I rejoice in that. I right. would encourage that. The thing we need to see here, though, is that this goodness is also by the grace of God. Exactly, exactly. It's not because the person is good through and through that they have done something good, but it's that they have done good despite you know, the, the, the reality of what's in their heart. And mind. It's, it's God's grace. It's, we might call it common grace. It's God's mercy. Also, I think it needs to be said that this goodness is not unto salvation and it doesn't prepare us for salvation. Um, and also it needs to be recognized that this goodness is not good in an ultimate sense. You know, um, uh, we, a non-believer might do a good deed, but it's not necessarily flowing from a, 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 good, a good heart. Right, you know, we're talking about behavior versus you know where the where the source of of this good deed is coming from. Right, uh, the scriptures are clear: no one is good except God alone. Mark ten eighteen. Uh, Paul speaks this way in Romans seven eighteen: For I know that in me, and he clarifies says that is in my flesh, according to my fleshly uh, nature. You know, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, but how to perform that? Uh, what is good, I, I do not find. So. Um, you know, he's saying here that there's nothing that good dwe- that dwells within him. Um, and, and I mean, it's interesting. We we look at things that people do. You know, I, I saw something in the news a while ago about uh, Mark. How do you say his name? Zuckerberg. The oh yeah, Facebook, right. Facebook guy. Whatever. I should not have say his name, right? <laughs> um, I, I think it came out recently that he decided to like. Uh, to give 99% of his Facebook shares to charity or something like that. Oh, wow. Something like that. Don't quote me, but it was some incredibly high percentage of some great sum of money. You know, I look at that and I go, that's pretty good. You know, that's pretty impressive that he'd be so generous. And, um, you know, probably, I I don't know what he's going to give to and, and all of that, but, you know, hungry people will be fed, you know, thirsty people, you know, have something to drink and, all of that stuff, you know, it's good what he's doing. But the thing to recognize here is that it's not really good in an ultimate sense in that what he is doing is not being done by faith, right. you know. It's being motivated by by something else. Romans fourteen twenty three says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. That if if we we might even do something that looks good externally, but if it's not being motivated by a heart of faith, trusting in God, then even that it's it's fallen short. You know, it, it's it's done for the wrong reasons. Um, also, I think when we do so called good things, but not to the glory of God, that good thing that we have done is also 
not truly good in its highest sense, you know. So we're being motivated by some other factor. I mean, I think some people do good in order to glorify themselves, quite honestly. You know, they're, they're doing the good deed in order to bring attention to themselves. Or, or maybe they're doing it not for themselves so much, but what they're ultimately doing is worshiping humanity or, or something like that, you know. Um, and so the scriptures speak of this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think a part of what that means is that um, sin is this, it's us failing to give God the glory that is due, that is due his name. And uh, Isaiah speaks this way when he talks about our righteousness being like filthy rags before God. It's pretty strong language, but he's saying even our even our righteousness is like filthy rags before God, apart from right, apart from uh, God's righteousness mm-hmm. imputed to us. Right. So, so the point I'm making is that people do good things, and non-believers do good deeds. Uh, no one's denying that, but the heart matters. You know, the condition of our heart matters. Worship matters also. You know, who are we worshiping through the deed that we are doing? Are we worshiping self or are we worshiping the one true God? Um, it's, it's like a matter of, of eternal versus uh, short-term sight on this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so we're, we're not saying this. When we talk about total depravity, we're not saying man is um, as bad as he could be. I think God, by his grace, restrains evil within us and he restrains evil within society and he enables... Uh, man to to do um, some good things and in a sense you know uh, that's the grace of God but uh, it, we, we could be worse were it not for his intervention you know um, but what total depravity is saying what the word total really does mean it's referring to this fact that every aspect of man's being all of his faculties and parts of soul and body to use the language of the confession are corrupt and bent towards evil you know so so I mean again it, it's not that our hearts are messed up but our minds are okay. You know, if that were our, the view, then we would learn not to trust the heart, but we could reason ourselves to God or something. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Um, no, it's that the whole of our being is bent towards evil. And also I think the word total is referring to this fact that that this depravity is universal. It, it's common – to all of humanity, not just a particular group of people or something like that. You know, it's it's all who are in Adam are depraved, right? And the truth of the matter is that you are either in Adam as he, as our federal head, as our representative, or you are in Christ. There really is no, no other place to be, mm-hmm. either in Adam or in Christ, and therefore either you are in sin or in grace, um, and given that all are born in Adam, means this uh, this depravity is total or universal and common to all all men. And this doctrine uh, is difficult for people to accept. I think because whether or not we realize we believe it or not, um, I think we in general think of ourselves as being good, basically good. Um, and so, what does the Bible have to say about that? Yeah, I mean, we've already referenced a couple of those verses that are talking about if, if it doesn't proceed from faith, it's sin, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, we've already referenced some of these uh, concepts here, but um, the, the question is not do people do some good, relatively speaking. It is it is a question, um, are they good in and of themselves? Are they good? Um, the, the question is not 
do we do some good? The question is, are we guilty or are we innocent mm-hmm. before God Almighty? Um, he is our Heavenly Father, but he's also described as the judge you know, of, of, of the living and the dead. So are we guilty or innocent before God Almighty? And I think the scriptures are just so clear that though we might look at our neighbor and say, I'm, I'm a lot better than that guy comparatively speaking, right. you know, or something, or maybe we compare ourselves to, well, I'm not Hitler or I don't know, whatever. Sure. Um, you know, we tend to compare ourselves to one another and then imagine that we're pretty good or something compared to others. But that's not, that's not the standard. The standard is not other people. You know, God is not grading on a curve, I guess is a way to put it. You know, yeah. as long as you do better than the majority or something you're in, I don't, I don't know. Um, no, no, the, we're, we're we're judged according to God's righteousness, according to God's holiness, and according to the standard that he has given us. So even just take the summary of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, and you go down those one at a time. It's not long, if you know what they mean at all. It's not long before you go, uh-oh. Right. Like, we give time in every worship service at Emmaus for the confession of sin and, uh, you know, the, the assurance of pardon, reading of Scripture. Um but one of the things we do all the time is we read the law in, in one way or another. We, we um, you know, make reference to the law of God. And, and one of the um, kind of traditional uh, things that we do is I'll ask the question, uh, you know, church, have, have you um, have you kept this law perfectly? And the people respond saying, no, but we have violated this law in thought, in word, and in deed, you know. So the Ten Commandments tell us not to covet you know, to, to covet is to break God's law, and it's to make us guilty, not innocent, but guilty. And yet, how often do we covet? How often do we look at what other people have, be it their car, or their house, their job, their wife, and say, I wish I had that for my own, you know? Mm-hmm. Even just the Ten Commandments, just taking that little portion of Scripture makes it abundantly clear that we're not good, you know, we're not innocent, we're, we're guilty before God Almighty, right? You know that's the real issue here. Um, you may do, you may volunteer at the food bank, uh, you know, five days a week, and I, I'm glad that you do. You know what I mean, right? But that's not the issue. You're still a sinner, guilty before God Almighty, and something needs to happen about that. Something needs to be done about that. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we'll get to that. In the future, I guess some, something has been done. Christ has died, and He's rose again, and His righteousness is given to those who trust in Him. It's imputed. So, well, and this kind of touches on a little bit what we talked about last time—just this whole merit thing. You know, right. praise God, it's not by our merit, right? Right. So. If it were by our merit, we'd be hopeless. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think of Romans three nine through twenty five. Okay, and this is kind of a lengthy passage, but I think it's good to read. Uh, Paul is raising this question: What then are we Jews any better off? Are we in a privileged position? So total depravity, it's, it's, uh, depravity affects all of humanity. It's not as if the Jewish people had an edge on, on all others, right? Paul, being a Jew himself, says, no, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Uh, no one understands. No one seeks for God. I mean, just listen to these words here, okay? No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. 
The venom of asps, poisonous snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. So we can't appeal to the law saying, look at how good I am. No, the law has the opposite effect. It makes you shut your mouth. There's nothing to say, you know, um, and the whole world may be held accountable before God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's what the law does to us. It's, it's, a, it's God's righteous standard. We ought to strive to keep it. But it, it also just makes us aware of this fact that um, we're sinful. We're sinful before the living God, and that's a real problem. Uh, but there's gospel here, and I'll just read this last portion so that this isn't all law and no gospel you know, for the whole time. But, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So do you want to be righteous before God? It's not going to be by your law keeping. You've already broken that law. But it's actually going to be uh, through the righteousness of God received by faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. The, the point is this. You, you may volunteer at the food bank five days a week, eight hours a day or something. You may good, do good deeds, but do not fool yourself. Do not kid yourself into believing that you are a good person through, or through, through and through and that you are good before God, right before God. No, um, we're, we're, we've all sinned and we stand, we stand guilty before God Almighty. We sing songs about that, don't we? Um, oh, yeah. A lot of the songs have that theme to them, but one of them in particular, I don't remember the name of it, but it just talks about this, like, no humble dress oh, yeah. will no, earn my place. You know, um, uh, the, anyways, this, I shouldn't even have brought that up because I can't remember the lyrics right now, but just there, there's nothing we can do to earn yeah. my right a place before God, a right standing before God, right? Um, so, yeah, I think even if you're tempted to think of yourself as a rather good person as you compare yourself to other men, um, just remember you're not good before God. You stand guilty before him. And in in our, you are in need of a, of a redeemer as a savior. Mm. Yeah. So... Well, it's an awesome basic overview of total depravity. We've gotten that out of the way, and um, there's so much more we can say. Right. Um, but let's just let's just uh, you know say the answer this question just so we can you know present some scriptures and that kind of thing. Is this really what the scriptures teach? Mm-hmm. Obviously, our answer is yes. But let's you know let's jump into that. Right. Um, yeah, it, it is what the scriptures teach. Again, this comes back to the question, what is your authority for truth? So if it were yeah. just up to you and me, we might say, no, we would prefer not to think in this way. Right. It, it just – it would be nicer to have a higher view of humanity. You know, It would be nicer to kind of believe what Hollywood, Hollywood says about yeah. uh, human nature um, or what Oprah says about human nature. I don't know. You know I agree. It, it just kind of feels better to talk in a more positive way concerning ourselves as human beings. But it's the scriptures – 
that we respect as our authority for truth and what they reveal is that we are dead spiritually, that we are corrupt in mind and dark in our hearts, that we are in bondage to sin and Satan, that this bondage is universal, and that we are unable to change, that we can't do anything about it. That's what the scripture reveal. And I, I think we should just take time and move through every one of those points that I just mentioned there, those yeah. five, yeah. and look at some passages of scripture. Um, I have a lot of them here. I guess I'll reference some of them and, and leave it to the listener to go and to look at our notes here. Um, but the first thing I said was that man is is uh, is spiritually dead. Okay, so just think of that for a moment. Man, when it comes to his spiritual life, is not alive but dead uh, by default, naturally. Of course, this all kind of takes us back to uh, the, the book of Genesis. We even go to chapter 2 when Adam and Eve are still there in garden the garden of God, right? They're still there in that state of, uh, of, of perfection, but God warns them saying, uh, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's the threat. You'll experience death in the day you eat of the fruit that I've forbidden. In the day you break my law, you will experience death. Now, for those of you who know the Bible, you know that Adam and Eve ate, but did they die on that day? It's kind of a trick question, right? Not physically. Not physically. They went on living for a very long time. But the teaching of Scripture is this, that they they died in that day, on that very day. Uh, Not a physical death, but they entered into a state of death. They began to taste of death. They experienced a spiritual uh, death in the day that they rebelled against their God, you know. Um, Romans 5.12 makes this clear. This is Paul saying, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is, it came in through Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. If we were referring to physical death here, this would make no sense whatsoever. Right. No one would be alive. Yeah, we're (laughs) we're talking about death spreading to all men who are physically alive. This is a this is a spiritual condition that we're talking about here, spiritual death. Um, Paul also, in writing to the Ephesians, um, these are Christians that he's writing to. These are men and women who have been made alive in Christ Jesus, but he's reminding them of their life before faith in Christ. He's reminding them of their life before regeneration. And he says, you know, basically, remember, you were dead. He's writing to living people, physically living people, right? But you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. So this is not unique to them, but this is true of all of us in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature, what? Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Here, Here was your condition prior to... God's work in you prior to hearing the gospel and the spirit moving upon you and you coming to faith, you were dead and you were a child of wrath. You know, it's so, it's so common today to to just constantly say, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I mean, there's a bit of truth in that. I I get it, you know, but how do, how do the scriptures speak concerning the, the, the non-Christian? It's not just, it's not, Hey, relax, Everything's good. God loves you. It's 
you're a child of wrath. You need to repent right. and trust in Christ. You right. know? Again, I think we've talked about this before, but just I love this passage, the clarity of this. You know, And you were dead in your trespasses, not and you were very sick and in the hospital recovery. Right, yeah. It, or you have some hope in yourself to be able to see and choose and reason a better path. It's like, no, you were completely unable to this do is, anything. Yeah, spiritual death. Yes. It, yeah. Dead means dead. Yeah, and listen also to Colossians 2.13, which Paul, again, writing to the church uh, in, in Colossae, says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, notice this, God made alive together with him, having, forgive us, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. So the bad news is this, you were dead. That, that was your state of being. That was your condition prior to Christ. But notice it doesn't say, but you made yourself alive or, you know, right. you revived yourself or you recovered or something like that. Or you chose to accept. No, it's, it's, right. it's, it's yeah. God made, uh, God made you alive together with him. And how, how beautiful is that action? It's right. God taking that action. It's regeneration. Yeah. And it's that regeneration that enables us to, to live before God. That it's that regeneration that enables us to believe upon Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, right? It's God's work and it must happen. Um, that's also what Christ uh, himself says in John 3, 5 through 7. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Um, and so we cannot even enter the kingdom. I think later in that passage, he says, we cannot even see the kingdom of God unless there is this new birth that takes place. And what is the new birth? It's that you're in a state of of spiritual death. You're alive physically, you're dead spiritually. What is needed in order for you to enter into the kingdom or in order for you to see the kingdom? It's for God to breathe new spiritual life into you. You need a new birth from above. Um, uh, you need to be born again, is is what the scriptures teach. Uh, John one twelve through thirteen. This comes before the passage I just mentioned, but it says, "But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God." Okay, so everyone who believes in Christ gains the right to be called not a child of wrath, but a child of God. But then notice how John puts this: "It's these who were born not of blood." nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I mean, you can't get more clear than that. That those who received Christ, who became children of God, were born from above. They were, they were born from above. And this was not of blood. This wasn't a matter of like uh, your, your, your uh, um, heritage, you know, or right. it's not a matter of your uh, genealogy or anything like that. Not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. This didn't happen because you decided to make it happen. Um, Nor of the will of man. Uh, This wasn't the result of man's choice, but this was the result of of God. It was his his, uh, decision. It was his um, action that brought this um, new birth to us. And this whole idea makes us think of Lazarus, right? The you know, completely dead and thing being raised by Christ. Yeah, God's work. I think that that's what this is. That's what the story of Lazarus I think is about. It's a picture of the fact that there we are, dead in the grave, and 
in and of ourselves. We are just utterly helpless. But Christ calls us out, you know, and brings us forth and gives us the gift of of life. For Lazarus, it was physical, but that was a picture of what we experience um, spiritually. You know. So, yeah, I mean, that that's... That's one of the things that needs to be said concerning our total depravity is that we are spiritually dead. Uh, we might also talk about the fact that man has a dark heart and a corrupt mind. And if the scriptures are clear about anything, it's that we we live according to the condition of our heart. You know, we do uh, what our heart leads us to do. Um, you know, Jesus talks about this when he talks about, you know, a good tree and a, a, a bad tree and how a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. But the, the witness of Scripture is just consistent that man's heart is uh, dark and, and the mind is corrupt. Genesis 6-5, go all the way back early uh, in, in the Scriptures, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So that's the description of humankind. Of course, things had degenerated to a pretty severe state there in the days of Noah. Um, and some might also say, but what about Noah? That you know, He was righteous. What about him? Two things. The thing that is clear in that narrative is that Noah found grace in the sight of God. Right. God was gracious to Noah, and he was righteous comparatively speaking. Because of the grace of God in his life, and God chose to save him and his family. And then what happened immediately after the ark, you know, rested upon dry land again, and he's out with his family. But you see Noah drunk, right? I mean, it's it's like a second fall is what it is. You have Adam and Eve messing up in the garden with fruit, and you have Noah messing up in this new world after the flood with fruit fermented this time, you know. It's a second fall. It's just proving the fact that there was nothing inherently righteous about Noah, you know, but God was gracious to him. Um, the point being made here, I kind of digress a bit, but the, the, the point being made here is that th- this is man's condition. Um, you know, wickedness, every intention of the thoughts of his heart, only evil continuously by the grace of God were in not, not in as bad of a situation as they were in that day. But nevertheless, this is true of us to some degree. Um, Genesis eight twelve also uh, speaks of this. Um, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So this this is God speaking of just kind of the the norm for humankind. You know uh, that that man's heart is evil from his youth. Ecclesi- uh, Ecclesiastes nine three. This is an evil and all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Uh, Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, Mark seven twenty one: for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. I think this is that passage where Jesus is saying it's not. You know, it's not that you eat with unwashed hands that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you, all of these wicked things that make you unclean. And these things come out of you um, because of the wickedness of your heart. Um, yeah. 
John 3.19, I know we're just kind of listing a bunch of scripture references here, but these are demonstrating the point. Uh, John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, speaking of uh, Jesus, and people, what did they do? Did they warmly welcome the light? Did they run to the light? You know, were they drawn to the light in a positive way? No, and, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Uh, that is the condition of, of, of humankind. Romans 8, 7 through 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You know, So this is the characteristic of um, the, the fleshly man, the mind set on the flesh. It, it's hostile to God by nature. Uh, those who are in the flesh, Paul says, cannot please God. What is he talking about here? I mean, we're all in the flesh, right? Um in the sense that we're living and breathing, we're alive physically, we're all in the flesh, but he's contrasting those who have been made alive according to the Spirit in this passage. But those who are in the flesh uh, cannot, cannot please God. There's nothing to be done, you know, that would be pleasing to God, okay? 1 Corinthians 2.14, I'm going to continue, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, Here's what we are to say about the natural man, the man born only of the flesh and not of the spirit. Uh, he does not accept the things of the of the spirit of God. He's not able to. Why? Because they are spiritually understood. It, ta- it takes um, the spirit of God in order to open our eyes and to cause us to discern the things of God. Um, yeah, I, I, I could go on and on. Maybe one more. How about that? Um, this is Paul again to the Ephesians. Reminding them, for at one time you were darkness. Not just you were in darkness, notice, but you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children. Walk as children of light. Um, and then I have here, kind of as a subnote to that, Colossians one thirteen through fourteen. Because the question might be asked, well, how is it that we, how is it that we are moved from darkness to light, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You know, is that our choice to jump ship from the kingdom of darkness and to join the, the, the kingdom of light? Paul to the Colossians chapter one, verses 13 through 14. He, that is God, the father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's God's activity, you know? Love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's two of the five things. I don't know. Yeah, and the third one, uh, man is in bondage to sin and, and Satan. Yeah. Uh, so are we free to choose Christ? Maybe that's the question we could ask. Yeah, yeah that's a good, that's a good Well, we have free will, I think, in the sense that we do make real choices that we will be accountable for on the last day. But, but are our wills free, capable of, of coming to Christ? Um, the scriptures seem to indicate over and over again the answer to that is no, yeah, absolutely not. Not according to our natural man. Um, John eight forty four, speaking to those who do not believe in him, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So he's saying you're of him. You're a servant of him. And your will is to do his will. That is your condition apart from Christ. 
Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, we've already read, but he emphasizes this, that apart from Christ, before Christ, um, people follow the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You're, you're in bondage to Satan here is the emphasis, right? Um, and then 2 Timothy two twenty four through 26, the first part of it I think is good though it doesn't pertain exactly to what we're talking about. And the Lord's servant, I think this is speaking of ministers, pastors, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And and here is what Paul says to Timothy. God may perhaps grant them, that is your opponent, repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So Paul's hope is this, that as Timothy, as a minister, is not quarrelsome, but as he goes about teaching and being patient, enduring evil, and as he goes about correcting his opponents with gentleness, the hope is this, that those those men, those women, will be um, brought to their senses. <laughs> That's kind of interesting, you know. Um, and that they will escape the snare of the devil uh, because they have been captured by him to do his will. But but notice that it, it is God who must grant them repentance. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. It, it is not that, you know, perhaps they will come to their senses in and of themselves. Perhaps they'll finally figure it out in their own strength. The text is just so clear here that Paul's hope for these opponents of Timothy and these opponents of Paul and these opponents of Christ is that God would grant them, God would give them the ability to repent, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Mm. You know, um, But the point here under this category is that their condition is this. They are snared by the devil. They've been captured by him and they're – doing his will. Paul's prayer is that they be freed from that. Um, I'm looking at my list of scripture texts here, and I, I don't want to read every single one of them. Uh, Romans 6.20 20 through 23. Again, Paul wrote, writing to Christians, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. So you were slaves to sin, you couldn't do righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. They, they, you were in a state of death, and the end of that state of death is death, you know, physical death, the final judgment. But now you have been – I can't help but do this. But now you have set yourself free? No. Now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is this is God's gift. He is the one who sets free. Um, we can go on and on again. Uh, the fourth I point that. I make here is that this bondage is universal. I'm not going to uh, linger along here because we've already made this point. Um, I think I've already read Romans 3 in this regard that that all are under sin. No one is righteous. No, not one. And then the fifth point I make is that man is unable to change. And I think that it's really this issue of total inability that is the point. When we step back and we ask the question, what is man's condition? We say man is totally depraved. 
and the most important thing to notice, I think, at least as it pertains to the doctrine of salvation, is that is that uh, total depravity, that total corruption that we're talking about makes it such to where man is unable to change. He's unable to change himself. He's unable to um, come to God as he ought to come to God. He's unable to repent. He's unable to have faith unless God unless God acts supernaturally, you know. Um, it, it just Jesus just says it in such a direct way in John 6:44. He, he's looking at a, a group of people who've heard his words, they've seen his miraculous deeds, they're persistent in their unbelief. And what does he say to them? Just try harder or something? No, he he just he's so blunt with it. He says, "No one can come to me. No one, we might say, is able. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day." So it, you're unable to come to me unless God does His work. We know from later in John that it's. The Holy Spirit who does that. The Father sends the Spirit to renew and, and, and to breathe new life and to call the sinner to repentance. He repeats it in John six sixty five, And Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So here is your condition. You're totally depraved. You're dead spiritually. You are in bondage to sin and in bondage to Satan. Um, and the, the issue here is that you're unable in and of yourself to really provide a remedy for that. You know, you're, you're unable to change. Uh, Jesus says so explicitly in John chapter 6. Um, I think that's also what 1 Corinthians 2.14 is getting at. We've read this already, but it's Paul here, uh, not Jesus, but Paul saying the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. I mean, it's just a, a, it's, it's so direct. So just imagine a, a natural person, someone born according to the flesh but not born according to the Spirit. Uh, he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He will not because they are folly to him. When you preach the gospel to a natural person, someone born only of the flesh, they scoff at the gospel. But when you preach the gospel and the Spirit of God is at work within that person, they're drawn to it. They come to it and they respond right. in faith. Um, yeah, and and maybe maybe if you're listening to this, maybe you're someone that's saying like you're asking this question to yourself. Well, don't all Christians believe this? And it's so obvious to me. Isn't isn't this what we all believe? Yeah, I, I think some might be asking that question. Others might just be bothered through and through by sure. it going, no one believes. I, I would say, uh, actually... <laughs> I'd say most people are probably in the second question. Right, but, they probably are. But... Uh, yeah, most Christians do not believe this. Right. Um, they, they do not believe this. I think many Christians, when they when they step back and they look at man, humanity, and they ask the question, what is man's condition? They think to themselves, man is n- neutral Maybe, you know, man is neutral, kind of able to go one way or the other with things, able to do good, able to do bad, able to come to Christ, able to reject Christ. Some probably even think man is bent towards good, you know, 
um, you know, so I, I think that's kind of the the default position of a lot of Christians today. Um, I think they think of man as maybe wounded but not dead. Right. You already started to right. draw that out a little bit. Right. I mean, think of the language of you are dead and you were dead in your trespasses. I mean, dead means dead. Yeah. Um, a dead person cannot do anything to kind of change that 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 condition right. that he's in. That, and that wounded position is pretty popular. I've heard many sermons on that whole wounded position. You know, we are wounded and we are terminally ill. But yeah, you're sick. You're yeah, sick. sick. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's it's that that you were you were dead prior to knowing Christ, right. but somebody performed spiritual CPR on you. <laughs> you know, someone someone from outside came and breathed um, breathed life into you where there was no life at all. You know, you didn't breathe life into yourself, but someone breathed life into you where there was no life at all. That someone is God. Um, you know, the gospel. Uh, was involved. The spirit was involved. Yes, you you chose to believe in Christ, but that choosing that that faith was spirit wrought. You know, spirit right. initiated, gift of um, spirit enabled. That that's the point that we're making because of the fact that we were dead. Um, I think a lot of people just kind of think of human. Everybody in human is objects of God's love, but they neglect. They neglect to say what the scriptures say that you were, you know, prior to Christ, not an object of God's love in a saving sense. You, you weren't in a good place before God. You were a child of wrath. That's the language of scripture. And so few people are willing to say that anymore. And I think they're unwilling to say it because they want to be nice and they want to be compassionate. And But is it really nice and compassionate to say to people over and over again you're in a good place before God and neglect to tell them what the scriptures say about this, that, um, that no, you're not in a good place. Uh, something needs to happen. Right. This goes, and this goes back to our conversation on what is the gospel from before. Right. You know, like we're, we're missing out on the entirety of the gospel to not say that we are deserving of death and destruction and judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, the, how much more beautiful is the gospel that, that that's where we come from? Yeah, and the gospel is not. I mean, just please hear me say this. We did do an episode on what is the gospel, and you know, but uh, you, you can go back and listen to that if you haven't. But the gospel is not. Oh, look at what Jesus has done for you. He has done your part. Now it's up to you. You know, Jesus has. He met you halfway. Now you make the journey. You 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 put in your, your part. That is not the gospel. The gospel is this: Jesus has done it all. Right. God has done it right. all in Christ Jesus so that he has not only earned salvation for you through the cross and through the resurrection, the ascension to the right of the Father. He has not only earned salvation for you, but God is also the one who applies that salvation earned by Jesus on the cross to those who are his. And sustains us. And sustains us. So, yeah, you, you know, so... Uh, We'll get to those topics, you know, when it comes to the I, which is irresistible or effective uh, grace, and to the P, which is the perseverance or preservation of the saints. You know, it, it's God's work beginning, middle, and end. You know, it, it's not that he has met us halfway, but he has gone all the way for us, you know. And mm-hmm. th- this is nothing new. This debate obviously has uh, 
or, or these differences of opinion have, have obviously existed for a long, long time. They, they go all the way back to, you know, we might, we might talk about Pelagius and, and St. Augustine, you know, Pelagius being of the mindset that man is, you know, basically good, neutral, able to come to God, you know, um, Augustine being of the position that we just presented here. Also, we might talk about Arminius and, and Calvin or the Arminian tradition and the Reformed tradition. You know, it, it's, it's, these things have been around for a long time, but I, I still, I don't know. I, I, I really believe this is true. It just comes down to, are we going to give attention to the word of God as our authority for truth? So some might actually be listening to this whole thing and be like, you know what? You just rattled through a bunch of verses. You just proof texted the heck out of this doctrine. Okay, and we're moving fast, right? I mean, I agree. We're not settling down. Right, we didn't settle down that. anywhere and like really work on Ephesians 2 or Romans 6 or Romans 3 or something. I, I agree. Um, there, there is a bad kind of proof texting. I've heard it said before and I agree that every heretic has their proof text. You know, you can have horrible doctrine and slap some Bible verses on it and call it biblical. A lot of people mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a, a kind of proof texting that is good, that is to have good sound doctrine and to quickly move through a bunch of Bible verses in order to just kind of demonstrate the fact that this doctrine is is from Scripture. It's not the creation of man. It, but if, you, if you're hearing this and you're thinking they're just proof texting and you're saying they're doing it in an unhealthy way, I think it's, the responsibility is now on you. Right. To go and to demonstrate that these passages of Scripture have been misused. Right. And not only that, but I think you also need to demonstrate from Scripture whatever view it is that you hold concerning man's condition. I've, I've read a lot of books on Calvinism. I've also read a lot of books against Calvinism. And I say it that way on purpose. Most of the books from the other side are not for Arminianism or Pelagianism as much as they are against Calvinism. In other words, I, what I see is a lot of people, they, they hear this doctrine, uh, total depravity and, and all the rest, and it bothers them and they gripe and complain about it and they say it cannot be so. But I have a hard time finding anyone who's demonstrating a better viewpoint from the scriptures consistently so. Right. And and that would be my challenge to those who are bothered by this is to not ju- – don't just dismiss it and say, oh, they're proof texting, but settle down in these texts. And, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, do, and that, do the hard work necessary. That's our encouragement with everything we've we've said in this entire podcast. Please go and re- go and read the context of all these cr- verses and, and and see that. You know, that's, that mm-hmm. is the context that they're in. And uh, – Right. Yeah, that's I, our goal. So. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Um I, you know, to, to kind of sum it up, to bring it to a conclusion, I think the point we're trying to make in this whole series is that salvation, beginning, middle, and end, is the gift of God. I, you know, it's not of man. It's not of We're involved in that we repent, we exercise faith. We persevere. We do good works. That's all real. We're involved. But all of that is dependent upon the work of God, the free grace of God in the end. And, and so 
you know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's just such a well-known verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, I think that's a good place to conclude here, but hang in with us, you know. Um, We could have done just one episode on Calvinism and, you know, expected that everyone would have just kind of gotten through that and it would have been done, but it would have been so fast. Instead, we're going to end up with probably eight or more. But I do encourage you to listen to the first one and all the way to the last so that you kind of at least have a a better understanding of where we're coming from with these doctrines. Yeah. I'd say even if you, if you really want to ask a question, send us an email, Mm. send us an email. I mean, if it's something that we aren't planning to address or haven't addressed yet, we'd, we'd love to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking that today actually, and I'm glad you said something, Mike, it would be wonderful to do one more episode. We, we did one episode on addressing common objections. Right. 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 And so we tried to anticipate some, but it, it would be great, actually, if um, we can wrap this series up by addressing actual objections or actual questions that yeah, arise because of be all this teaching. That would be yeah. cool. Well, in the meantime, in light of this episode, um, I mean, man, let's let's seriously pray, praise God together that that no, our, our previous condition wasn't just wounded or terminally ill, but we were dead. And how greatly can we praise God that he's made us alive? Um, I mean, that's just such a beautiful truth we get to live in and, and embrace. So thanks for tuning in and listening, and we'll see you next time. Abide in Christ. Mm-hmm.